0: Well, welcome to the wonderful Words of Life radio broadcast. In this session, we are in 1 Peter, the third chapter, and I've entitled this chapter, Love and Submission. That's exactly what uh, this uh, entire chapter is about. And I know that if, uh, if you and I have been together in this study, then we have seen the love of God as a thread run through the entire fabric of this letter. And it's been a thrill. It's been a thrilling, thrilling uh, letter uh, to study. Amen. Praise God. I've uh, divided this chapter up into four sections. The first section would be uh, the love and submission in the home. We're going to be talking about domestic issues in this chapter, and then the Christians' proper conduct. And then the third section will be uh, believers enduring with patience. Persecution and suffering. And then finally, our example of Christ as uh, he who suffered and died for us, but was also raised again from the dead. Praise God. But before we begin, the psalmist says in the 34th division, listen to this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear and reverence the Lord and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Oh, fear and reverence the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. There is no lack to them that fear and reverence him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want or shall not lack any good thing. Wow, what a psalm. Father, we bless you today. Now, Lord, we just ask you now, anoint the words during this study. Anoint the ears to hear during this study. Lord, fill my mouth in Jesus' name for your glory, Lord, with your wisdom and we give you praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus name. Amen. and Amen. Well, praise God. All right. First Peter chapter three. I've entitled this chapter love and submission because that's what love does. Love does submit. All right. Verse one. We're going to be talking about domestic issues now. Uh, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste and holy conduct accompanied by fear and by reverence. The NIV says in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And we understand, first of all, that in the day and the time that this epistle was written by Peter, that the husband was the absolute head of the home. And oftentimes when the husband received Christ, then the whole family followed him into the Christian faith. But it was a little bit different for the wife. If the wife received Christ and the husband had not, then the wife was pretty much left alone by herself concerning the faith. Now, she may have brought the children in. And we see an example of this in the life of Timothy. Uh, Timothy's mother was a Jew, but... Uh, Timothy's dad was a Greek. But it was the mother and the grandmother that raised and taught Timothy the faith in the Lord, in the Lord, and, uh, faith in God. And of course, it was through the ministry of the Apostle Paul that Timothy came to know, uh, the Lord Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And of course, Timothy was one of those individuals that was a tremendous asset, uh, to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And then Peter goes on and he says this. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on a fine apparel. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with your wife dressing up, looking pretty on the outside? There is not a thing in the world wrong with that. But now Peter says this, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Women and men, too, that have a gentle and quiet spirit have that because they've learned how to lean upon the Holy Spirit. And they have a prayer life where the love of God and the presence of God fills them and changes them. Listen, seven days without prayer makes one. Very, very weak, and I've noticed this in my life and ministry that if I forsake prayer, if I don't have my proper, amen, time of in the presence of God, that I can get short, I can get impatient, I can I cannot be long suffering like I should be, and so we need a daily dose. I call it the gospel. We need our daily gospels. Daily doses of the presence of God. And the only way you and I are going to experience that is to get in our prayer closet. I would say early in the morning before we get to do anything else. And then late at night before we go to bed that we get into our prayer closet and spend some time in the presence of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. And let the love of God just flood over our souls. Hallelujah. And let the presence of God fill us up to overflowing. But getting back to verses three and four, there is not a one, there is not one problem, not one thing wrong with a woman dressing up looking really nice and really pretty. If she's playing the hypocrite, appearing to be somebody on the outside and she's totally different on the inside. And that's exactly what Peter's talking about. Don't just dress outwardly, but dress up inwardly. And we dress up inwardly by spending time in the presence of God, getting to know our heavenly father and getting to know how the Holy Spirit works in our heart and in our life. Amen. Jesus accused the Pharisees. He says, you know, you appear unto men like whited sepulchers, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. And I'm afraid that there's many in the church world today. That's exactly who they are. They appear to be nice and holy on the inside, on the outside, but in the inside they're filled with all kinds of evil. Well, these things need to be cleansed. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with our heart, to bring us to the place to where the presence of God, the Spirit of God can dwell in us without measure. Praise God. Amen. Spirit-filled life. There's nothing like it in all the world. Verse five, for in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Isn't it interesting how love submits? Wives, if you truly love your husbands and if you truly love God and if you've spent time in the presence of God, you're going to find uh, a willingness to submit to your husbands. Amen. We're going to get to the husbands in just a minute. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror or you don't give way to fear. Amen. See, there should be no fear in the house of God. And when I say house of God, I'm talking about the Christian home. That's the house of God, too. That's our person. We are the temples of God. We are the house of God individually. And we are the house of God within our family. And, of course, we go to the house of God, which is the church and our community. Amen. But we don't need, ladies, you you do, you you should not. And we're going to get to the husbands, like I said, in just a minute. Uh, Wives, you should not be serving your husband because you're afraid of him. This should be a willing um, action on your part. Because number one, you love God and you honor him and you and you love your husband and you honor him. Amen. Now, verse seven. Likewise, husbands dwell with them with understanding and understand understand their place in the body of Christ. Understanding their place. Amen. In the family. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, hold her up in high esteem as unto the weaker vessel. We'll talk about that in just a moment as being heirs together of the grace of life, equal heirs. Amen. Hallelujah. And so when Peter here, he's talking about the wife being the weaker vessel. The only way that would be true is on a physical sense, but I know pound for pound uh, women are just as equal as men are. And sometimes in a lot of ways, they're stronger. They have uh, seemingly they have stronger endurance and uh, they're not weaker intellectually. They're certainly not weaker morally. My wife was stronger morally uh, than I was early in our marriage. And so Peter's not talking about that. He's talking about the weaker vessel being uh, God's order. God made man the head of the home. He made the wife to be his helpmate. In other words, for him to be the very best that he can be, he's going to need his wife to help him do that. Them working together as sharers of the grace of life. That makes a tremendous powerhouse witness, not only within the home, but within the community. Amen. Praise God. Think of it this way. The natural working together with the supernatural, making an explosive force for God. I tell you, when the husband and the wife are loving one another, they're submitting to one another, they're honoring one another. Oh, praise God. And they're praying and they're staying in the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, that makes a tremendous force for God. Praise the Lord. Amen. But notice that Peter said that we are. Husband and wife, joint heirs of the grace of God. The wife has just as much right to enter into the presence of God and to represent the family as the husband does. And I think that's tremendous. That is tremendous truth that we can uh, live by today. Praise God. Now, there's one thing in this verse of Scripture Notice again, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as into the weaker, weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. When you begin to treat your wife as something lesser than what God has called her to be and you consider yourself to be superior to her and you talk down to her and you treat her unlike Christ would treat her, guess what's going to happen? That's called sin. S-I-N, sin. And when we begin to abuse our wife or we begin to uh, treat her in a way other than God would have us treat our wives, our prayers are going to be hindered. In other words, the wife's prayers are getting through. Your prayer, your Your prayers aren't. So let's remember that. Let's remember the rule in the Christian home is love and submission to one another. Because after all, we're all sharers, husband and wife, all sharers of the grace of life together. Amen. All right, now, starting in verse 8, the section, second section is speaking of uh, proper conduct as true believers. Notice Peter writes, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender hearted, be courteous. Notice that. Once again, here's the thread of the love of God that's running through the fabric of this letter. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Amen. Blessed are the meek or the gentle those who are yielding to and walking in the fruit of the Spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. We are to bless them that revile us. I know it's a hard thing to do, especially in this day and age, but it's it's a requirement. This is what the Lord Jesus would have us to do. This is how he would have us to live. And this is what Peter is telling us what we are to do in our daily life. We are not to repay evil for evil. We're not to repay insult with insult, but we are to bless. Why? Because we're called by God to do this very thing. Amen. And when we do that, I know there's times I get so angry. Listen, I have got to shut my mouth. I know if I open my mouth and say one word, here's the whole train coming out with the caboose. And then I've got to go around and apologize to people. No, you. You, know, you. can be angry. You and I can be angry as long as we don't sin, as long as we don't allow the sun the sun to go down upon our anger. Amen. Let's let's get it fixed with the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Let's be a blesser, not a curser. First hand says this: For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from speaking evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Amen. Now, why do we want to do that? Well, Peter tells us, verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Is that how we want to live our life? Where the Lord is against us for doing evil? I don't want to be that way. Listen, I want to have a cheer, a clear channel of blessing, of giving and receiving between me and my Master, the Lord Jesus, and I know you do too. Well, these are the things we've got to throw off. We've got to get rid of them. We can't yield to them. Remember, thoughts may come, and they may persist in staying, but thoughts that are never spoken, nor acted upon will die unborn. Amen. Evil thoughts do not become sin until we speak them out of our mouth or until we act upon them. So we deal with our soul life. We deal with our, our flesh. We deal with our mind, our will, and our emotions. We crucify these things. Amen. We, we take authority over our emotions. We get our emotions underneath. We submit our emotions to the love of God and then we'll come out of these situations unscathed, and we won't have to go to the Lord and repent. That channel of blessing will continue to remain open and not be blocked up. Amen. Now, here's an interesting thought here. Peter is quoting Psalm 34, verses 15 and 16, the very Psalm that we read a portion of it when we open this session. And notice what the psalmist says here. Now, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Isn't it interesting how that Peter quoted these verses of Scripture but left the last phrase off to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth? Why is that? Well, because believers are not going to be cut off. Even Christians who act like the world, they're not going to lose their salvation. Why? Because they're secure in Christ. John tells us in chapter five and verse 24. However. Believers will be judged for their conduct. We're all going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day and we're all going to have to give an account for everything that we've done in our body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. So let's do this. Let's erase the bad. If we've done bad in the past. Let's let's confess it. Repent of it. Renounce it. Sever that soul tie in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's clear all of that trash and all of that worldly garbage out of our heart so that we'll have a cheer, a clear channel uh, to the presence of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even verse 14. If you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Amen. Well, that's exactly what uh, the Apostle Paul says. I mean, the, the, the verse in First Thessalonians, chapter five and verse 15 is almost exactly what Peter's thought is here in these two verses. Notice. What Paul says, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves. Amen. This is how we are to conduct ourselves. Now, Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church that he was there for a very, very short period of time, long enough to get people saved, long enough to get the church going. And then he had to leave because of an insurrection and rioting. And uh, his life was threatened, so they had to get, uh, so disciples had to get uh, the Apostle Paul out of town. But notice what he says: Do not none render evil for evil unto any man. And if you read the Thessalonians letter, you'll you'll see that Paul commends the church there, and how that their faith is growing exceedingly, and and uh, and of the testimony of their love towards all. And I think that's a tremendous testimony. How would you like to have that testimony in the community where you live? Oh that brother, oh that sister, I tell you, you can just feel the love of God coming out of them. There's something different about it. I don't understand that, that but I, I tell you if and I've heard this set of people, if I was going to be a Christian, I'd want to be just like them. What a testimony. Amen. what a testimony. Praise God. But now listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Notice what he says. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold soul for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows. What a tremendous truth that the Lord Jesus teaches us. Amen. All right. Verse 15. We're entering in the third section, and that is believers suffering for righteousness sake. You and I are going to suffer for things for doing right. Let me say it that way. For doing right things, you and I are going to suffer for it. That's going on today. There are some people uh, in our leadership in, in this country right now, it doesn't matter. They could walk on the water. They could feed the multitude with five barley loaves and two fish, and people would criticize him for it or them for it. Amen. These things we just have to take patiently because ultimately, who are we to glorify? Them? No. Ourselves? No. We glorify God by what we say and by what we do. Notice Peter says here in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asked you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Notice what Peter says there sanctify the Lord in your heart. Notice that sanctify the Lord in your heart. How are you able to do that? Well, you do it because you've always got your mind made up. That's the reason Jesus was able to withstand everything that came upon him. He endured hardness. He was able to do that because he had already sanctified the Lord in his heart. He had already made up his mind. He had already purposed what he was going to do. Amen. Concerning the will of the father that he was going to whatever cup he had to drink and his cup was a bitter cup. He was to drink it and he was willing to drink it. Why? Because his life on earth was for one ultimate purpose. And that is to glorify God. Amen. Praise God. Well, if that's the mind and heart of the Lord Jesus, that should be the heart and mind of of His followers that our life or by death, we, our purpose is to glorify God. Amen. All right, and then the last section beginning in verse 18 this is Christ's example of suffering. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Notice that being put to death on the cross, but raised again from the dead by the power of God. Now, verses 19 and 20, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedience, disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now notice Peter says, whereby he went and preached to the spirits in prison. And Peter identifies just exactly who these spirits are. They were the disobedient ones, the ones that Noah preached to for 120 years, the entire time he was building the ark. And notice the scripture says who formerly when they, when they were alive were disobedient. That means they were disobedient. They rejected the message that Noah gave. Amen. Through God. And these individuals, they send away their day of grace and they perished in the flood and they were lost and went to hell. And it was Christ who preached to the spirits in prison. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, when did Christ do this? Well, he did it between his death on the cross and his resurrection. You mean to tell me Jesus went to hell? Yeah, absolutely. I mean to tell you that because that's exactly what the scripture tells us. Paul says this, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Now, the word first there is not in the best manuscript. It's not in the Nestle translation of the Greek scriptures. But the translators put that in there to help us to understand what happened in Christ's journey from the cross to the throne. He entered into the lower parts of the earth. Now, think about this. Now, if we're not talking about the grave because Jesus wasn't buried in the earth, he was laid in a tomb. He was his his body was laid above ground. So uh, the lower parts of the earth can't be speaking of the grave. The lower parts of the earth. If you'll go through the Bible and you'll and you'll look at that term lower parts of the earth, you'll find out that uh, it's talking about hell. Amen. Amen. You see, we have to understand that all of the work of Christ that was sufficient to pardon our sins was accomplished and finished upon the cross. John 19, 31. It is finished. Now, are those just words or was Jesus actually telling everyone that the work that he needed to do, making it sufficient to pardon The sins of the whole world. Remember, for God so loved the world, cosmos. That's speaking of the inhabited earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient and it was a finished work there on the cross. But now Christ afterward entered into the regions of the dead. He presented himself to the faithful souls of men who were awaiting redemption so that he would ascend, so that they would ascend with him to heaven. He ascended up on high. He led captivity captive. Those captive people, they're captive no more. Praise God. The Lord Jesus emptied out upper Sheol. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, it was of these faithful that the scripture speaks. The psalmist tells us, for he says, that when Christ returned triumphantly to heaven after his resurrection, And his victory over Satan, he gave generous gifts to men. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Praise God. Amen. But now to these souls in prison, these disobedient souls that lost their salvation, that refused uh, to accept the preaching of Noah, Jesus went down and proclaimed his victory to those He presented himself as Lord. Remember what what? Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow listen to this of things in heaven of things in earth and of things under the earth Jesus went to hell and declared his lordship over the regions of the dam Satan had no choice but to hand him the keys to death and to hell the authority amen remember when the 70 returned and Jesus told them that he had authority over heaven and of earth. He didn't say he had authority over the netherworld, heaven and earth. He didn't, he didn't receive the authority from the Father in the netherworld until he had perished at the cross. And through that work, through that finished work, he announced himself in hell that of his lordship over things in heaven, Over things in earth and over things under the earth. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you this. When Jesus went to hell, he didn't get stomped on by a bunch of devils. They didn't rip him. They didn't torment him. He didn't have worms coming out of his eye sockets and out of his mouth. None of that. I'm telling you what. Jesus did. He took those demons, praise God, and he vanquished them and he piled them up on heaps just like the Egyptians did to the dead frogs, piling them up in heaps, praise God. Jesus came out of hell victorious, praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah came back into that body glory to God, resurrected, raised from the dead, and then 40 days later, ascended into heaven. And then 10 days after that, sent the Holy Ghost and established the church. And the church is alive and well today, praise God. That's what our Lord and Savior did. Amen, 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 amen. All right, let's finish out this chapter. Praise the name of the Lord. Notice what it says. Notice what it says here in the last few verses. Verses 21 and 22. There uh, there is also an antitype. This is reading out of the New King James Version. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the fresh flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. The power of the resurrection who has gone into heaven. Listen to this. And is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject unto him. What a picture of the total victory that Christ won for us in his death, burial and resurrection. Amen. Descending into the nether world, praise God, declaring his lordship over the world. ascending up into heavenly places, being seated at the right hand of the Father, raising us up and causing us to sit in heavenly places, in Him. What a glorious future you and I have as believers. Praise God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of God upon our lives today. We'll carry this anointing, we'll carry this life into all parts of the world, Lord. Hallelujah. Teaching sinners and converting them in the way, and we'll give You praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. who gives life.